right when my husband died, I signed a new contract with my publisher for two books. Somehow, the first book I was going to write was always going to be about grief. It's called Invisible as Air. It's about grief and the repression of it through drugs, specifically OxyContin. And then, of course, when he died, I knew grief in a way that I had never, ever wanted to. But I had the opportunity to work through it as best I could on the page, which is where I do my best working through things. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the newest episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Our guest this week is a wonderful storyteller whose new book, The Fun Widow's Book Tour, is one of the most personal, brave, and fascinating books to come along in quite a while. I am Ron Block. And I am Patty Callahan Henry. We are so thrilled to be joined by Zoe Fishman, who is the 2020 Georgia Author of the Year in the literary fiction category. She is the critically acclaimed author of six novels, including the recently released The Fun Widows Book Tour. She's the recipient of multiple awards, including Booklist's Top 10 Books of the Year, an AJC 10 Southern Books We Loved in 2019, an Indie Next pick, a Target Breakout, an Emerging Author pick, a New York Post oh. pick a Mom's Choice, and a Barnes & Noble Hot Read. Her books have been published in five languages. Her essays have been published in the New York Times Modern Love column. And y'all, this is a really moving piece that you must read. The AJC's yes. Personal Journey series and Modern Loss, among others. Zoe worked in the New York publishing industry for 13 years in the editorial department of Random House, the rights department of Simon & Schuster, and later as an agent for two boutique literary firms before moving to Atlanta in August of 2011. She lives in Decatur with her two sons. Zoe, welcome to the podcast, my friends. Yay. Thank you so much for having me and for that beautiful introduction. Oh, it's so spot on, too. I'm so excited to have you here, Zoe. I love the title. I love saying the Fun Widows Book Tour. It's awesome. And we're going to ask you about that in just a minute. But in the meantime, do you mind sharing just a summary of what the book is about before we dive into the backstory? Sure. The Fun Widows Book Tour is about a midlist author named Mia, Mia Macher. Midlist meaning she just can't quite break through to best-selling status or even making a living status. In the book, I think she's four books into her career when her husband dies very suddenly, turning her into a, a widow and a single mother, you know, trying to support her family. So 
in the book, it's been almost three years since he died. And she's written a book, which is kind of a prescriptive memoir about how to pick up the pieces after your partner dies, mixed with a few personal anecdotes. But she has to promote it, which is something that I personally hate doing. It's just (laughs) a whole different brain space than writing. And it feels so goofy most of the time. And like you're bragging on every possible platform imaginable, but it's a real necessity. So she, her friends help her organize a book tour. You know, I wanted to write about the way the industry truly works. A lot of people seem to think that the publisher rolls out the red carpet and sends the author all around the world, you know, first class. But most of the time it's authors hustling for their own readings and paying coach and staying at friends' houses. And there's not really much glamorous about it at all. And so her friends help her plan readings in their hometowns of San Francisco, well, Marin, Chicago, and Atlanta. She lives in New Jersey and she flies out to do these readings all in one week because she has these two little dudes to take care of. She calls them the dudes and has her father stay with them. She goes on the tour with the intention of helping these wonderful friends of hers with their lives as a means of paying them back for how kind they've been to her and the dudes since the death of her husband. But best intentions don't usually come to fruition. So it's a story of her figuring out who she's going to be again with this new identity as a widow. It's such a meta, if that's the right word, idea, especially an author Mm -hmm. writing about being an author, Mm -hmm. an author who is on tour writing about being on tour, an author with two sons who is writing a book about an author who has two sons. So (laughs) I know, Zoe, that you have been very open about the events in your own life that influenced this book. And I'm wondering if you would share that with our listeners. Sure. In June of 2017, I had been married eight years, was very much in love. We had a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old, two days away from turning two. And my husband left for work one morning. He was a clinical psychologist and never came home. He suffered a brain aneurysm and was taken by ambulance to the hospital, whereupon he was in a coma for a week and then he died. And, you know, the shock, the heartbreak, the feeling, feeling like I was watching a movie about somebody else's life, a very sad movie, except it was mine. And really my priority always being to make sure my sons were taken care of and were emotionally, you know, that I could be there for them emotionally because I loved them so much and I felt such sorrow for them because he had been such a great father and because I had no idea what I was doing. I also grew up with a great father and single parenting was just not on my trajectory. It never even occurred to me that that's what I was going to be doing, much less with tremendous heartbreak. I remember... I do. I, I, when you said 2017, I was like, wow, it couldn't have been that long ago. Right. right. Because I remember it with fresh emotions, you know, 
watching it from afar because I'd left Atlanta by then and feeling so helpless for you and to see you turn it into this is, is astounding. So you're incredible. Yes. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Thank you guys. Since I've been doing the podcast, I've really, it's really cemented in my brain how creativity goes hand in hand with catharsis. And is that kind of what you went through in, in putting the book together and writing the book? And can you talk a little bit about how it helped you on your grief journey? Oh, absolutely. I, so right when my husband died, I signed a new contract with my publisher for two books. Somehow, the first book I was going to write was always going to be about grief. It's called Invisible as Air. It's about grief and the repression of it through drugs, specifically OxyContin. And then, of course, when he died, I knew grief in a way that I had never, ever wanted to. But I had the opportunity to work through it as best I could on the page, which is where I do my best working through things. You know, in that book, the protagonist has suffered a stillbirth. And I wanted to write about how horrible, what a tragedy that is. And also the danger of repression for the person that's hurting because she refuses to talk about what happened to her and as a result becomes addicted to these drugs that make her feel like she can escape the pain that she lives with every day. So that was writing that book during the initial stages of my grief was extremely gratifying and cathartic for the reason that I could explore someone else's grief instead of my own because that I wasn't ready to do that. I was too tired and still in shock and it felt easier to take someone else's story. But then when I was writing Fun Widow, I started writing it at the beginning of the pandemic and parenting, single parenting during the pandemic was just hell. It was hard. It was harder than, you know, I thought writing Invisible Air was hard. (laughs) It's like a joke (laughs) how much harder it was to write Fun Widow because, you know, I had this incredible village around me, but by no fault of their own, no one could help out. No one could come over. Um, everybody was grieving their own lives in the sense that they had never seen this coming, had to change all of their daily routines. So my mother and brother came over two hours, twice a week to sit with the dudes while I wrote this in my garage. Oh, wow. And the first, yeah, but. And it's, you know, a garage garage. There's no she sheds to it whatsoever. <laughs> Don't romanticize <laughs> it, became, it. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. no. Like, next to a deep crease with like roach carcasses at my feet, like full. And I just remember, you know, kind of having to laugh at that because I've always been kind of a martyr. So there was something about it that secretly <laughs> satisfied me. And the first draft was, you know, it was originally going to be called The Book Tour. And it was mostly about pulling back the curtain on the life of an author. Um, she, Mia was always a widow, but it wasn't at the forefront of the book. And to no one's surprise, least of all my own, my first draft was terrible. And I just didn't have any heart because I was avoiding. I didn't want to deal with my own pain. I didn't think my own pain was worthy of a 300-page book. 
But my editor and agent very kindly told me that it wasn't about really about a book tour. It was about a widow who was trying to put her life back together, who happened to be an author and happened to be on a book tour. And once I leaned into that, it was much easier to write and much, you know, it's terrifying and liberating to write about yourself in the, in the sense that I think initially I was nervous that people would say, you know, readers would think, get over yourself, who cares? But then I just didn't care. It felt so good to me and it felt so good to bring these two people back to life. I mean, Ira in the book is a replication of my father who died two years after my husband. And I didn't get a chance to mourn him really because I was still, first of all, I was grateful that I got to say goodbye to my dad and that he knew what was coming and was okay with dying. But I didn't get to mourn him because I was still mired in the grief of losing my husband. So it was a true gift to write him back to life. Oh. That's yes, yes, yes. And yes. to think about you doing it during COVID with your sons at home who are school age. I'm just going to repeat myself. You're incredible. Oh, God. <laughs> so there are all these multiple drafts and you're easing yourself into each one and you're getting closer to the heart of things with each one. How different was the first draft from the published one? So different. I had them on a road trip during further into COVID. So in the Flame Widows book tour, they're right on the precipice of it. It's like February, 2020. But the first draft had them driving through the country in, you know, a minivan during, you know, when every, the whole world was empty. Nobody was outside. Everybody was, you know, nobody was coming to the readings because they couldn't. And it's very hard to write a road trip. At least it was for me because there's only so many, you know, writing dialogue is one of my greatest pleasures, but usually I'm ripping off something in the environment to spur a conversation. You're stuck in the car. Like how many songs are gonna, can you play? (laughs) So there was that element that got completely changed. And I don't think the first draft had a stepmother. So she, Judy came along later. Oh, I love Judy. Me too. You alluded to this a little bit, but how, how did you write yourself into the story? Because it's so reflective of what you went through and the people around you too. Can you talk a little bit about taking that leap? Sure. I, I had asked before I started writing it at all, can I make this a memoir? And my agent and editor very kindly said, so no, nobody knows who you are, (laughs) which was hard to hear, you know, but also true. But also I was a little bit angry because, you know, we have these reality star goobers who get paid six figures to write books about nothing. nothing. And here I am an author with five books under my belt, just trying, you know, in love with the craft and I couldn't do it. So the truth is that this book started as kind of an F you. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I can't remember. Okay. I'm going to write a novel. That's a memoir. Really. It's going to be super duper meta and a memoir. But in the end it turned out, I mean, there's nothing but heart in it. There's no anger in this book whatsoever. That's true. And not only did you 
tap into the true heart of things. And although anger might have spurred it, it was the hope and the anguish and the loss and heartbreak. But right from the very beginning, you offer a highly realistic view of what a writer's life is really like. Worried about reviews, checking a Goodreads rating. I mean, I have a Mm -hmm. friend who has a book out in four weeks and three days i.e. me. And yeah, so like this, <laughs> so worried about reviews, tours, Goodreads ratings, Amazon ratings, bloggers, you know, then you're planning the tour and there's the fear of the empty chairs and uh, the worst. Oh, the worst. And then when they drag in the, the booksellers to sit in the chairs so it doesn't look empty and <laughs> It's just, you were really honest and you show a realistic view. So I want you to talk a little bit about that. I, I, yeah, I couldn't find anywhere. And I mean, anywhere, a true account of what it feels like to be an author who hasn't made it. And so I wanted to show, and that's the question that I get over and over from people, you know, what's it like to be an author? Where are you going on your book tour? You know? And what tiara are you wearing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And when I'm like, oh, there's no bookstore, like, you know, you have to make them money for them to spend money on you. I mean, it's a business. So I wanted to write about that first and foremost. And then, you know, the reviews part, I try really hard not to care when I get a bad review. And to be honest with you, most of the bad reviews, there's a kernel of truth that resonates where I'm like, yeah, you know, she's not totally wrong. But they're also really hurtful sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's so many times that I talk back to my computer and say something not nice because writing, I don't know, writing a book is really hard, <laughs> really hard. And you have to be so vulnerable, even if the book's not about yourself. I mean, you're putting out the art of your soul in such a commercial way, which is not to say that people shouldn't be allowed to say whatever they want to say about your book. But I just, I wanted people to know that we really read them and, you know, it can ruin a day. And I also think too, the, the line between how private writing is and how much I love that part of writing that is just me. It's just the page. I don't have to speak to anyone. And I rarely do. I'm never brave enough to share drafts with people ahead of time. And then this, <laughs> they're so different. And you really have to, if you don't, at least in my case, if I don't love what I've written, I cannot speak with any sort of authenticity about it to anybody. And I've been really lucky in my career that I would say five out of the six books I've written, I really, really loved. And the one that I didn't, didn't do well. And I think, you know, as far as negative reviews or negative input, everybody has the right for that. And we have the right not to read them or to read them and take out of them what we want. It's the cruel ones. Right. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And then with those and and you eke this into your novel is it's usually about them more than it's about the book. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like every bully. Yeah. There there you go. That's That's it. That's the word. It's funny. I like I'm kind of on the sidelines of all this. But over these last couple of years, I've really gotten a glimpse into um, what you all go through. And and every as I was reading the book, I kept nodding my head going, yep. 
yep, yep, yep. I've heard that. I've seen that. And I, this is totally coming out of nowhere. But yesterday I saw an author who had their first event and they posted a picture on Instagram of, of all empty chairs. Nobody showed up. Oh, that up. thing has gone viral. She oh, like, yes, you know she was on the news. The deal, let me speak to that. There was someone who did that about a month and a half, two months yep. ago. And she, I don't know. I, I, it's only cool if you do it the first time. I'm right. kind of like, <laughs> not that I'm above doing anything for publicity, believe me. But I give the credit to the first guy. That felt a little calculated. Oh, okay. I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Because every single one of us can show an empty room. Oh my God, of course. Success or no success, right? Uh, that That's what I liked Absolutely. about it though. People were posting their own pictures of the same thing. But what I loved even more is was the support from others because people would put like cartoon characters in the chairs and say like, oh, fixed it for you and, and things like that. That's and so very It was sweet. kind of supportive. Very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible when you show up and you're all ready and nervous and there's, you know, you're lucky if you get two people in the chairs, but I also think it's part of the process. Right. Part of the gig. You know, what we yeah. signed up yeah, for. Yeah. If a, yeah. It really is. If a writer gets too full of themselves too early on, which absolutely did not happen to me, I think that you must suffer. That loss of self-confidence is its own painful journey. I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I'm glad that it's been a slow burn for me, even if, you know, financially it's been really tough. Well, hopefully this is the one. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that I love about your writing, and this is such a, a deep, personal and authentic story, but you always find a way to inject humor into your work. And some of the characters and the names that people <laughs> observe is hysterical. Could you talk about deciding to do that in this book when you you may not have had to, but it's you. Yes. And did you find it difficult to, to inject the humor into this book? That's who I am. Yeah. I think if you can't laugh at yourself, if you can't find those funny moments in the, you know, that's actually how the title came to be. I was probably a month after my husband died. And what my girlfriends did that year was incredible. They all visited. There was a spreadsheet for me, just like there is for me in the book. And they all wrote in, you know, the days that they would be visiting us. And so my best friend came down from New Jersey and we went to get a manicure and I pulled out a bright color and said, you know, can I do this? Is this Okay. And she kind of looked at me, you know, she didn't know what to say at that point either. And I just said, hashtag fun widow. <laughs> and we <laughs> laughed. And it was the first time that I had laughed. Like I used to laugh because humor has always been my fallback. I, I consider myself to be a pretty funny person. And I take such joy in making other people's laugh, other people laugh. So it's a, I mean, I'm so, I feel so lucky and honored that you found yourself laughing as you read the book because it's so natural to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't write to get the laugh. But it comes through and some of the, the, the names of some of the characters, the minor characters. Like, I'm laughing again because it's hysterical. But I'm not giving anything away. No spoilers. Read the book, everybody. Thanks. And we were all affected in our work. 
by the pandemic. I mean, friends and fiction grew out of the pandemic. You see a need, it rises up, but you almost make the pandemic a full character inside this novel. And we loved reading the scenes, especially Mm -hmm. of Judy and her reactions (laughs) to the coming threat. So talk to us about (laughs) writing through the epidemic and, and how you tapped into those sentiments with her. I, you know, Judy was truly from my imagination. I, there were little pieces of my own mother and her and pieces of friends' moms. But for the most part, I, you know, during the pandemic, or at least on the tail end of it, we got a puppy. And all of a sudden, I was thrown into this new world of dog walking. And so many interesting characters on the street walking their dogs that I hadn't even noticed before. So the physical, the image of her came from those walks and seeing all these dog people, the secret society of dog people everywhere. Judy is, she grew out of the pandemic too, I think, in, in the way that you're saying. Um, she, I, I had, you know, some older people in my life and their reaction to the pandemic was so different than mine. You know, they seemed to cling to, the reassuring mundane nature of the everyday in a way that I just had to let fly out the window. I don't know if it's because I had two small children or, or what, but it was all about, you know, but I already defrosted the turkey meat. Like, you know, (laughs) you have to come for dinner. You said you're coming for dinner. And I was just, you know, struggling to stay alive. (laughs) So very different takes on, apocalypse well and and i'd listen to the people who are like well i used that time to tap into <laughs> yeah, right, right. I'm like, <laughs> i used that time to survive minute by minute thank you for asking yeah <laughs> you every, know every second was a battle when i can't when somebody tells me that you know they really enjoyed the pandemic the rage that fills me unparalleled <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I fully lost my mind for sure three times, probably more. For sure. Three. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I don't exactly. mean to laugh at that, but it's so we can all relate to that, I think. Oh, yeah. and, and I didn't have the little ones, but my sons who had already left and were in college and graduate school came back home. And so. Oh, wow. Yeah, because school shut down. So there's the what's oh for God. breakfast, what's for lunch, what's for dinner? Did you do my laundry? Oh, <gasps> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, did you just run screaming out of the house oh, in your mask? Yeah, in my mask outside. Yeah. No, I ran screaming into my computer, just like you did. Like, yeah, I found solace yeah. in stories. So. I made enough That's yeast bread for the entire neighborhood. <laughs> That's all. That was nice. Do anything you. to just not go crazy. Yep. Yeah, I did so many home projects. We just because I had to get the dudes out of the house. I mean, it really became I mean, I will say that one beautiful offshoot of the pandemic for me was just appreciation of nature. Yeah. Yeah. It was so fascinating to me that the world was falling apart. And yet it was springtime. It was beautiful. And the sky was this incredible shade of blue. And, you know, it's it was it was an interesting parallel to grief. Yeah. Because it feels that way when you're grieving, 
you know, you're so heartbroken and crushed, but the world just keeps being beautiful moving along. Yeah. 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 Something you talked a little bit about, but I want to dive into a little bit deeper is the whole idea of found family. The strong friendships in this book are just so aspirational, for lack of a better word. And, And can you talk about that? And it sounds like reading other things that this is based on people that were in your life during this time anyway. That's right. I, you know, I didn't meet my husband until I was 30. So, and I didn't really, I never had a boyfriend, you know, I dated, but I never had a boyfriend. I was never pulled out of the orbit of my girlfriend's existence in the way that love does that. And so I just was fortunate enough to make these incredible, funny, smart, and loyal friends. And so when my husband died, not only was it shocking to me, but it was shocking to all of them. I mean, none of us had ever, you know, been so lucky. None of us had experienced that kind of tragedy up close. And so they rallied around us and the dudes were every month, there was some cool new woman coming to play with them and take them to the museum or McDonald's or, and they, you know, knock on wood are really good dudes. They're good people. And I know it's because of the kindness that they were, the kindness bestowed upon them constantly. It's so nice. And and, and you can't, you can't foster those friendships after it happens. No, it's the existing friends that rally around. I've watched it with myself. We watched it with our Mary Kay, when her daughter passed, like it's the community that you spent the time building before the tragedy happened. That's right. Because you're, there's two, I, you know, I thought, oh, there's a version of me before I fell in love. Goodbye to that version. There's a version of me before I became a mother. Goodbye to that version. Yep. But the version of me before my husband's death is completely completely different I'm still the same person obviously I still have the same flaws and characteristics but my outlook on life is so different and I think that to have people rally around you who knew the before you that's an incredible feeling the many versioned self right Mm -hmm. that's what that's why I love being a writer yeah you can explore each version And all those people who gave to you, one of the ways you give back is through your teaching. So can you talk about how that's helped you along the journey, the teaching? You mean teaching creative writing? Yes. So it was interesting. Right before the pandemic struck, you know, I had been running the Decatur Writers Studio here, which was an incredible opportunity and really connected me to writers here in Atlanta and Decatur. But we folded because we were under the umbrella of the Decatur Book Festival and they couldn't help us anymore. And none of us had the capacity to run a business. But I will say that teaching in my life has been so rewarding because writing is so personal and everybody that shows up usually, you know, the first day or two of class, they're so, they don't have any confidence in their story, but watching them grow, watching their confidence grow as the story comes to life is so rewarding. And 
people take people taking time out of their regular lives to write, paying a teacher to help them write is so incredible to me because, you know, you're not going to get the results of like going to a class at the gym for six. It's just a whole different, it's kind of like a class for your soul. And so it always, the students are always fantastic. It's almost like an aspect of parenting. Yeah, that's right. I always feel like I get nervous before I teach. I don't know why. I think I think because I didn't go to school to be an author. I went to school to be a nurse. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, who am I to teach them to do this thing I do? But the minute I step into it, it is so rewarding. And no matter whether you have a master's in it or a school of hard knocks in it, it doesn't matter. There's... Right. There's this give because and take. Because we know. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I, I can't speak for you, but I assume you have the same philosophy I do. It's like 20% talent, 80% diligence. And perseverance. And perseverance. You just have to keep showing up. And what you learn on the page, someone can't teach you anyway. So I know. Right? Oh, it's, it's so special. I know. I know. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I feel like that's where I do my best self-discovery. Yes. That's why I'm a writer. I'm not big for talking about my emotions, but I can write about it, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think we're going to package this up differently, and we're going to sell it as a class on writing. There you go. (laughs) Okay. I can always use more money, Ron. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we'll we're going to hope that people run out and uh, get a copy of this book for sure. So I'm going to confess something, that after I read the book, I went down a Zoe rabbit hole, and I looked for essays and articles. I just needed to know more. And I actually was reminded that I had read the original Modern Love article, and I it was oh. so... Uh, it was so beautifully written, but so sad at the same time. And then I was reminded that, oh, yes, I did read this before, but all the others. And I encourage everybody to go out and especially to hear the story about how you met your husband. That is the best. But It is the best. It is. So do you mind giving people a little snippet of that and then tell us where sure. people can kind of look for your articles and essays? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you. That feels really good to hear. I appreciate it. So my husband and I, I had met him at a party. Must have been 2001, 2002. He was kind of dating a work friend of mine at the time. And I met him really briefly, but I just loved his face. I don't know. It felt like I'm, you know, I'm not a past lives kind of person, but something felt so familiar about him. And about a year later, I started to see him on the subway in the morning on the F train going into work. But I could never work up the nerve to say hello to him. I just was too insecure. And I had this vision of who he was in my head that was not who he was at all. And finally, oh, and then he became my subway crush. So this, you know, the amazing friends that I have would all, you know, sometimes text me, did you see Subway Crush this morning? Yes, I saw him. Just, they encouraged me to say hello because it was so ridiculous. But I just could never do it. And then one fateful May morning, it was a Saturday, he got on the subway with my 
work friend that he had dated once upon a time and her then husband who turned out to be his best friend from college. And she did the introducing and it turned out he had eyed me in the same way that I had eyed him. I don't know for as long or as creepily as I did, but (laughs) enough, enough for him to, you know, admit to wanting to say hello to me too, but not having the nerve. So I married my subway crush and it was, (laughs) it was, I never, ever, ever would have thought, Oh, that's what's going to happen for me. I mean, I just, I had such trouble with relationships prior to him. I was always trying to be cool girl. And that's, if you're not vulnerable and authentic, why would anybody want to stick around? But he really, he really wouldn't let me be anybody but myself. That's such a great story. Oh my God, so romantic. I know. know. Oh, okay. So I think that's the perfect Mm. place to kind of wrap this up. Because it shows your vulnerability and sweetness that finds its way along with humor into your novels. So thank you so much for joining us. I know that our listeners will find this conversation as meaningful and authentic as we have. But before we tap out, can you tell our listeners where to connect with you online? And are you on tour all and where can they find your book yeah (laughs) are you on a glamorous tour completely funded by what friends are you visiting for two (laughs) yeah exactly well i am going to sarasota this weekend my aunt and uncle live there and they finagled me a reading at bookstore one that'll be on april 8th this sunday april 2nd i'll be at thank you books in birmingham alabama but all of this and more is on my website, zofishman.net. Um, I'm on Twitter at zshacham, S-H-A-C-H-A-M. And no, that's Instagram, sorry. And Twitter is at zofishman76. And I just, this is a real honor to be here. Patty, you're such a badass. <laughs> and you were so kind to me when I met you at, on the book panel. I was like, I was just a mass of like exposed skin that day and you were so kind to me oh, so thank you and ron you're cool too thanks <laughs> he's the coolest and everybody out there when you go to find her website it's zoe but she spells it z-o-e so if you're looking for the e it, is silent yeah nice nice yeah, I, this has been so meaningful. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been terrific. Thank and people are going to love this conversation. So I'm so glad we did it. And thank you to our dear listeners for tuning in today. You can purchase a copy of the Fun Widows Book Tour in our Friends in Fiction Bookshop.org page. Enjoy a small discount and help our valued indie bookstores. We hope you will tune in again next week. And please tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends in Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.